back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome from you, Mark Woods, the latest edition of the MVP cast brought to you as ever in association with our good friends at Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Of course, if you like the podcast, please hit the subscribe button and you won't miss a single episode. And we're also about to launch our new MVP mail newsletter, exclusive content on a regular basis. Sign up for that at mvp247.com. Now, our guest this time out is a lion who roars pretty loudly. He's been a fixture in that backcourt in London for the past <laughs> six years. I mean, part of that incredible rise from London Lions from mid-table contenders to now champions and now heading into continental competition Andre Lockhart welcome to the MVP cast mm-hmm. how thank are you very keeping? much Mark. thank you for having me and how are things with I'm you I'm keeping very well I'm just trying to things are well just trying to keep our heads above water at the moment trying to dodge this um invisible virus <laughs> but yeah we're doing well I mean you guys are the envy of most of the country this week because you get to go to another country. You're off into the <laughs> FIBA Europe Cup this week. All the games have been played at a, a central bubble in the Polish city of Vlusławek. Yep. Um, Lions Group E with home city Anvil, Freiburg of Switzerland, Dnipro of, of Ukraine. The games Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday this week. Um, I mean, it's it's a new kind of adventure for for the club um, in terms of you know mm-hmm. more games, uh, you know, a, a real chance, a real opportunity. How are you guys feeling about it? I mean, we're very excited. Um, this is something that we've all, especially London-based players, have looked looked forward to this moment um, to represent London um, and especially England at the level of this kind of competition to show that we can play basketball at this level also. So um, we're very excited. Um, I think everyone is chomping at the bits to just be in there and get in the environment because I think when we played at the BCL qualifiers, I think we felt like we were so close to advancing and we think that we had a good team that could have done well but a call here and there a missed bucket here and there and things just didn't go away but I think we're just ready to get back after it what did you learn from that because you know, most of us looked at that obviously it was clearly a winnable game it got away from you yep. guys it was a new experience though for some of you as players and what what will you take from that into this campaign um it's just gotta limit your mistakes I mean Though we came into training camp really early, it was still a, a bunch of new guys learning each other. Um, teams like that in Europe, they've been playing together for a while. That team that we played actually was together for a while. They had a new coach and stuff, but most of the core guys have been together. And they've been through certain situations where they had to you know how to pull out a game with the first what two minutes left of a game, which they did a, a phenomenal job. They made some huge plays defensively and offensively, made it some big three-pointers. Um, so I think what we really took from that game is just that we have to just limit our mistakes and capitalize when we have a momentum on our side because it can get away from you. One minute we were up, I think at the end of that game, let's say eight points maybe. And mm-hmm. then in two twos, it went down to like, we're, we're up two and then we're down two. <laughs> it could just happen just like that. And I think we just, we learned to just capitalize on our leads a lot more and taking our time. 
I mean, it's 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 a very MBAS situation. You're heading into this bubble, mm. and you know it's it's five <clears throat> five days. I mean, it's 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 very different. You know, give us a sense of as yes. players what you're expecting of of what this involves. Um, to be honest, I don't think it's anything different from my normal day life. To be honest, um, one thing we've done a lot this year we've traveled um, or stayed up the night before um, our games. Uh, when we played Newcastle um, early in the season, we stayed up both nights um, before the game. So basically, you know, we get to the hotel, we stay the night, everyone stays in a room, the whole mass situation. And I think we've already been through it with the BCL, as, um, as I mentioned before. So I think everyone is kind of okay with handling this process. Um, to be honest with you, in the NBA situation, they were there for months. That's a whole different situation. I think five days, I think some of us can cope with five days of just been in our room again and play the sport we love but a whole five six months like lebron james i don't know if you could cope with that but but that but that is true <laughs> they do get paid well. how, how has it been for you guys i mean just while we're on the subject i mean obviously everyone's talking about covid and you know teams are yeah. scrambling to to stay away from it stay out of self-isolation <laughs> how's it been for for you as a team um as a team, I think we've actually handled it pretty well. I mean, we do that as in most teams. We take our temperature checks, um, do all the follow the COVID protocols. Um, but as I said before, this is an invisible virus. It could sneak up on you at any moment. But to be honest with you, once we follow the right guidelines and everything, we all we can do is just cross our fingers and just hope that we can make it through um, as far as we can. Because if you get catch COVID, you could lose a game or you could just be out for two weeks. So, I mean, we're all just doing the best as we can to stay safe. Um, it all boils down to individuals now because as a player, like as myself, I have my family. So I just keep my bubble very small. It's my team and my, my small family. That's all it is for me. But and the other individuals we have on our team, I mean, they stay in the, they stay in the apartments or their accommodations. So basically, they just go up in them accommodations to practice. So, I mean, if we continue to do that and guys understand that aspect of it, that we're here to do this job and not to just enjoy the world as we used to, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, there's party, there's party nights out on a Sunday night, too. Completely <laughs> I mean, these, these are very interesting times generally for for London Lions and London Lions fans. Mm. I mean, everyone's seen the transformation um, <laughs> since two years ago. Obviously, winning the league title, you know, things were on the rise in, in yes. London, but now it's it's a whole different level, a whole new ball game, you know, new owners in, in 777, you know, much yep. bigger player budgets. It was all seen, you know, big names coming in. I mean, you've been around, you know, this is this is your mm. club. You've been there before the before the the, mm. the millions, billions, whatever it is, you know, came in. <laughs> and from from people would be curious, I guess, what's what's been the main difference for you? Um we've taken everything to another level completely from our management, from our staff from um, a coaching ability, we've gone to the next level. Like the London Lions where I first came into, we were, I mean, my first career just to start over, I started off at Newcastle and that was a very high standard. And then um, the five was great for my, with me being a pro and my rookie year doing Newcastle, I was just like, whoa, this is like legit. I was actually really impressed. And London Lions has just gone to the point now of this year, we've actually gone beyond that. Um, we've gone to such a level now that guys are expected 
so much of, and guys don't have a problem with that. In other years, you would have issues. Oh, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. You don't have excuse guys anymore. You have guys who just know this is our job. We need to do this at the best of our ability. End of it. And to be honest with you, I think we've struck gold with the players we've brought in. Um, for example, like DeAndre Liggins. From the day he came into our club, he was a no-nonsense person. Whatever coaches said we're doing, he never complained. I've never heard him say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. He's just done it with 110% of effort. How he plays in how he plays in games is how he plays in practice every single day. Even in like when we say we're gonna go 70%, he's still going 110%. Um, so people like that and their character have actually shaped our club in a whole different dynamic with myself and Justin and Joe just pushing guys in the right direction. Um, we've just gone to another level. I, I actually kind of I'm excited to be honest with you. Like just to think of our team sometimes it just gets me very excited because I just know how much potential we have, how good we can be. But we always try to tell everyone that we haven't done nothing yet. Winning one game against um, whoever doesn't really mean nothing. Is at the end of the day, we need to just all look back at it and be like, we gave our best. So I think that's where we're at. How does that affect the rules? Because you, know, you had a great core there. And you know, I think I don't think yes. any players in the league's rule has changed more than than Justin's. You know, you know Kevin Wise was yeah. playing terrifically well. Obviously, you were... Mm of backing up Justin sometimes or playing alongside yes. Justin so in your point guard group as the rules have radically altered this season you know, it's, it's 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 a great group and it's a great options if you're a coach there but I mean, how, <laughs> how have you guys adjusted to you know different rules different game time you know different things that you know different ways that you have to be effective out in court um I'll be honest it has been a difficult year as in terms of rotations and playing wise and but um to be honest at the end goal we all just want to win and when your number is being called you just have to be ready um there's a situation where we go into a game we know we need this from certain players and we know we need that because in prior years as you're right i was either backing up justin or playing alongside justin and we've been working well together and it's kind of difficult now because now i'm trying to figure out where i can find my niche or where i can impact the game but at the end of the day as i always i've always been a team first guy and I've always tried to put whatever the team needs first. So I'm just happy to be on the on the lines, to be honest with you. Um, because Joe and myself, we speak a lot because we've been the longest tenure players right now. And we just feel like we helped got, got the club to this point, especially since Justin came on the club. Justin, from the time Justin joined on the lines, our club has took a huge turning point. And I would just say he's led us to a point, us three, have you sticked around? Have you led us to a point where we're at right now? And it's just the fruits of the labour, basically. I mean, you looked at the expectations for the season were very high, and especially domestically. Mm. But you know, does this does it feel after what happened in the BCL that there's almost a kind of benchmark of you guys need to get out of this FIBA Europe group? I mean, is that is that the the, the minimum target for this week? Um. I wouldn't say we, we, we're not, it's hard. And the reason why I said it's new is a new competition for every single person on our club. Um, maybe the only person that's played at a higher level in our club is DeAndre Liggins. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was in the NBA. So he's the only one that could actually say this, but the NBA game is completely different from the European game also. So let's just say like we're all going into this competition, trying to learn as quickly as possible. Like, I'm not going to lie to you more. In the first quarter, we got to know what we're doing. 
completely. <laughs> That's just how, like, it's no more, oh, we're just going to figure out after this game what we need to do next. No, no, first quarter, then, but then oh, we need to be on the same level as every European club that's even playing this competition. Um, but I will be honest, we've, um, on the lines I've taken pre-seasons in the past, and we've been to Poland before, uh, myself, Joe, and Justin. And we had a good showing we went to Poland against other Polish teams and stuff. And other European teams that we played against, we played Bank and Bears, um, a couple of, uh, I think, was it last season? Yeah, in the preseason, mm-hmm. then we played them again this season. And they, as you can see, they're doing really well now. And I think we did have a good showing against them in the two preseason games, but obviously we had a few injuries and a lot of players were down. But as I said, it was all learning experience, but we need to play teams like that. And look at Bank and Bears, they're a BCL team now. And we think that we didn't have the greatest of showings, but we think we showed that we can play at that level. Um, so I think in this FIBA Europe, we're just going to just take every game at a time. I know that's what everyone says, but that's exactly what it's going to be. It's every quarter, every game at a time. Then we're just going to just hope we're at the end of it, the marbles land in our way. Your journey in life has been you know, incredibly interesting, very diverse, because <laughs> you're born in London. You know, people forget you're a hometown yeah. guy. But then you grew up in Barbados, <laughs> and you, you know, mm-hmm. your mom took you know, had a lot to do with that move. Explain, you know, what, what was the thinking behind, you know, you were obviously a um, single mother, lone child. Yep. You know, what was the thinking behind yep. heading to the Caribbean? Um, I just remember when I was, my mom always told me that when I was um, very young, my grandmother, um, I'll just give you a little brief history. My grandmother moved from Barbados to, uh, to England. Um, to be a nurse um, when she was really young. And then she brought my mom over and her other sisters when they were around, I would say, seven or eight. So we, my mom has been living her in England her whole life. But for some reason, when I was born at two years old, my mom decided she wanted to move back to Barbados with my grandmother. I had no decision in that whatsoever, <laughs> which I did. But I just had no choice that too. So, um, but the best thing about my mom is that even when I hit a certain age, I would say maybe five, she would send me back to um, England every summer to spend time with my aunt. So I always knew, cause she was like, this is where you're from. I know you're normally probably gonna live in Barbados when you get to a certain age, but this is where you're from. You need to know how to get around. So I've been coming back, I would say since five and six every summer until I hit maybe 15 and I decided yeah, England was just too boring for me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially London, there's so little happens there. But um, I was like, I was like, it's just too boring. <laughs> it's just too boring. Um, so I started spending more time with my friends, and then I got, uh, I was playing for the Barbados national team, and then all that summer stuff started to happen. So yeah. I mean, talk about your mom's influence because you've always seen credit to her, you know, for <laughs> as being the spark that was there for you, you know, playing basketball, getting education, going to college, seeing the world. I mean, what's describe her as a my, you know, an influence. My, my mom is my everything. My mom is actually my heart. Um, without my mom, I wouldn't be here today. Even small things up to now. My mom, as um, I said earlier to you, my mom has Alzheimer's and dementia. So it's really tough right now, especially with the pandemic, because I'm not being able to see her and she's losing her ability. It's really, really hard. And I get very emotional about it. But I cannot thank my mom enough for what she has done for me throughout my entire life. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, my mom used to play netball when she was younger. She tries to say that. I don't know how good she was, though. <laughs> so um, so when I was younger, she would 
my mom was a very, she was a single parent, but she was very hands-on. My mom was a very um, sporty person. So like, say for example, like putting my basketball hoop up, my mom got on a ladder and nailed it to the wall for me to just have a basketball hoop outside of my house. Like that's the kind of thing she would do for me. My mom was very, um, all of my basketball games until I, until she became that parent that starts screaming and telling me I can't do certain things. And I told her she can't, she can't come to games anymore. She's just been my number one fan. Like my mom has just been everything for me in terms of like sacrificing for me to go to America and helping me to be a better person. And I just can't thank her enough. And I mean, don't get me wrong, before my mom lost her speech and her sense of communication, I would tell my mom every day how much I love her and how much I miss her. But yeah, she's just she, being... She contracted dementia at a relatively young age as well. You know, which, my, mom is on, my mom is only 64 years old. My mom had dementia since she was 58. Yes, very, very early. And that's the sad thing about it because my mom has been such a, a hard worker and such a giver throughout her whole life. Like my mom is loved by so many people that it breaks my heart that she's never even got to enjoy retirement. My mom's not even at retirement age right now. She's not even at retirement age. And my mom is technically in a care home, the youngest person in the care home, but she's the furthest gone than other people at the care home. The other patients are way older than her that are still walking around and still talking, still smiling. But I mean, to be honest with you, Mark, I always said to myself, it could be worse it could be a lot worse. Like other people have had more loss than my, my mom is still technically here. So I have to be grateful. Does that, that does that, I mean, obviously it's such a cruel disease and you know, there's so mm. little that could be done about it, you know, once it develops, etc. I mean, but when you see people who have difficult conditions, often you see the fight that's there in some yeah. way or another. I mean, does that, does that in some sense inspire you? Because I guess in so many of these situations, it kind of brings it home that life is precious or that, you know, that each day yes. matters. It has, you know, people take things in different ways. I mean, for you, what, you know, how does that impact maybe in some way in a positive way? Um, I'm not going to lie to you. It has changed my whole perspective on life, period. Um, even the way I eat, I've actually become vegetarian. Um, because I've learned that um, some forms of, I'm not trying to turn anyone from eating meat anymore, so please no Sorry, one, I'm a veggie. Please. This was, this, this was good. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading an article where that is actually one of the things that um, can speed up Alzheimer's and dementia. And after doing research, and I was like, interesting. So I said, even if I don't know this is 100% accurate, I'm like, I would be a fool to at least not try it, knowing that my mom, it could be hereditary. Um, so really and truly, like stuff like that, I've changed um, the way I think about life. No, I have a young family, um, and I have uh, another son on the way. Oh, my wow. My partner is actually, yes, thank you very much. My partner is actually 27 weeks, 23 weeks, sorry. <laughs> just thought about it, 23 weeks. Don't get that wrong. So um, I know, I know. I was just like, it's 27? Wait, no, it's 23 weeks. Um, so... It just changed my whole perspective of life because now I've grown up as a, as with a single parent, and I was on the only child also. So to have to make sure my kids are as prepared and have a mom that's left for me and left stuff in place for me is I have to make sure I do the same for them. 
and I guess um, we've had people on the show before. We've mentioned this talking elsewhere. Um, you know, having the kid changes things as well. <laughs> well, drastically it changes my life to the point I don't even know what sleep is anymore. When everyone said, <laughs> when everyone said to me, Mark, oh, yeah, you you just don't understand. You just won't have any rest. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'm always up to like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. But no one really explained to me, no, you no. really don't have your own time anymore. <laughs> it's not, it's two o'clock, three o'clock. My son could just wake up and be up for like a whole hour just screaming at me about how he's tired. I'm just like, totally, I'm more tired than you right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, kids changes everything. Um, how you value life. Um, even having like situations, I heard people say this before, like even if you have like a bad day or a bad game, when they got home, they their son or their child made them so happy. And I'm not going to lie, it's actually happened to me so many times, like just to see the excitement of my son when he sees me, he runs and gives me a hug and a kiss and excitement. It just changes your whole day and your perspective of life, to be honest. Um, it gives you that very warm feeling that someone's dependent on you. And the only thing that um, I really wanted for my son to do is come to basketball games, to enjoy it and to see his dad. But obviously because of the pandemic, that's not being able to happen but um hopefully soon he will get to see me play hopefully well the one tip i give you when you do eventually get to bring him and let's hope it's sooner rather than later make sure someone's restrains them so they don't call on the court as it happened to me oh trust me com- commentating oh. i believe on your trophy <laughs> final like, years ago where I, I almost happened my son almost came up during your game and for a moment when i was broadcasting on live on air like sitting on the bbc with with dan ratledge my heart just skipped a beat well, my wife managed to draw my small child. So there's my advice. Make sure your partner keeps, keeps him under control so he doesn't chase daddy onto the court. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, right? <laughs> that might be very hard because my son, he would see me and he would sprint. So he's so fast. My son has been walking since eight months. I don't know how, but he's been walking and running since eight months. He's probably faster than her right now, so that would be hard for her. But she, would keep, I think, she'd get it done. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's been an incredible, you know, incredible experience that you've had. I mean, through through basketball. I mean, I, I guess it is it in yes. your case one of those things where the sport has open, genuinely opened up the world to you. Genuinely, yes, yes, it has genuinely taken me to so many places and given me so much opportunities and networking with people and education for free. I mean. <laughs> It, like, I don't even know how, because at a young age, I would say at 16 years old, I actually moved back to England to live permanently, um, to London, actually. But for some reason, um, the Barbados national team had a, um, the junior team had a tour against um, JJ Barrera, against Puerto Rico, all of those guys, and a few NBA players like called Peter John Ramos and those, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go back. And we had a good showing against them. Obviously, they were a powerhouse. They destroyed us. But it was like, that was the first time, like, playing at that level, it showed me, oh, I really think I can play this basketball. And then I got to a point where there's a few more tours, and I was on the senior teams. And then I got a scholarship to um, Queen's University of Charlotte in North Carolina. And then things just started to open up from there. And I just realized, because I knew always I wanted the education because um, when that hit me the hardest was when I tore my ACL in my senior in my senior year. It was supposed to be my senior year. Um, in the summertime, I went back to Barbados and I just, oh, let me just play in this little fun tournament, just have some fun. And that was a bad decision. So I tore my ACL, I had to set up my senior year, red shirt, 
then I came back and I played and I was playing really well to, up to the beginning of the season. And then I let a few little knee injuries bother me about on the other knee because I was overcompensating. So it's been a roller coaster. And then the Newcastle and then the Germany situation and then back to London. I've just been to so many different places. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you. Even, I can't even, like, sir, I've been to Jamaica, Suriname, a lot of Caribbean islands, Trinidad. Um, the last one with Suriname was actually my last tour that I was actually with Nigel Lloyd. He was um, the head coach. I was really good because I was Nigel's last year um, being the head coach and we won bronze medal for him. So I was really happy about that. So, yeah, I mean, I have a little, a little touring of the world <laughs> a little bit. I mean, you've captained your country, which for a lot of people you know, is, yeah. is kind of that fantastical goal that you have in sport and obviously so very few people get to do it i mean you're yeah. from a relatively small country i mean it must it must feel yeah. like an even bigger honor when you get that position in your in the sporting kind of you know sporting pyramid of your own nation yeah i mean it is it's actually so funny because um my partner when sometimes we go back weirdly i met my partner in barbados and we decided, and then I came back to London and we basically lived what 20 minutes away from each other and we just we just clicked even more from then but um when I when we go to Barbados sometimes on vacation I try to tell her Clay, you know that a lot of people know me she was like oh whatever whatever because she's just like London lines no one knows you da, da, da. it's not like <laughs> you know it's not as popular I said Clay, no, I'm honest so we went to a hotel quick story and we just walked in and the guy was like yeah, I was like, she was like, how did you know him? He, he was, she was like, how do you know him? And he was like, oh, everyone knows him. And he's always in the newspapers and da, 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 da. And she was like, what? And I was like, I try to tell you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, in, captain in the Barbies National team, I, I mean, it's such a small island, uh, 166 square miles. So it's not, everyone doesn't know everyone, but once you're a sports figure or some form of person that's achieved a lot in Barbados, you, a lot of people will know you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice being known in Barbados. Um, it's nice to carry the mantle of a guard from Barbados or a small island making it professionally and still playing and all that kind of stuff. Because, um, for example, Nigel Lloyd, he was the first person I watched when I was um, probably about 11 or 12. I think in um, 2000, he won the um, Caribbean Championships in Barbados in front of a sold-out crowd. I actually had to sit in the, not even in the stands, I had to sit on like the walkway. There was no space in the arena at all. And that's where I had to watch him play. And it was just, it was just, it was just a real moment. I always remember it. Um, and I'll, we always talk about it and laugh. So um, Nigel Law has also done a lot for me um, as a player growing up. I uh, watched him and idolized him from when I was really young and stuff. So, yeah, he's put the he's passed the way for a lot of us. Given honest. that he's still around the Lions, I can ask you this question. Who's the best point guard to yep. come out of Barbados? Uh, you know why it's funny <laughs> you say that? No, you know why? You know why it's really funny you say that? I had that conversation with someone the other day, and I told the person it's him. I said, hands down, it would have to be him. Um I rate myself probably maybe top five, like because I, I I'm not a type of I I always respect the great sort of ones that passed away before me and was playing before me and stuff like that. 
So I would have to ask you, I have, I have a coach or someone that coach all of us, what their opinion is on that situation. But I would say, I would say it's Nigel Lloyd because of his career, his longevity of how he's played, um, the level he played at to his age, um, <laughs> and just how he could score the ball and run the teams. And he, he was a star in the BBL. Like, I'm not even a star. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was a star in the BBL. He was that guy um, for the teams he played for. So I tap my hat to Nigel. Yeah, I would say 100% is Nigel Lloyd is the best guard to come out of Barbados. Yes. He, was a, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal player in his day. Yes. Um, yeah. Vince McCauley, your coach in London, yep. made a piece mm-hmm. in MVP last week talking about, obviously, the... The whole ongoing debate about the black community in, in, in both the yep. UK and Black Lives Matter, is, and he's been very vocal on the subject in, in different places, mm-hmm. as, as is your team you know, on a general basis. So you've, I wanted to ask you, kind of as a, you know, someone who was of this place, went away, mm-hmm. came mm-hmm. back, what was, what was your experience of, of the UK and, and the sort of spectre of racism as, you know, as someone who was, you know, was dipping in and out? So you're, you're probably mm. observing it as an outsider, but also you're, you, know, you, you were here enough and you know, this was an essential country as well. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've never really experienced racism in the UK, to be honest with you. Um, I, I would say maybe because when I was too young to really understand things to be honest but i think when it really hit me was when i went to america when i went to live in school in america that is where it hit me like it is actually two worlds right now um because in barbados it's a caribbean island and everyone is friendly and speaks to everyone and everyone gets along with everyone so is when i went um to america i realized like whoa why is this allowed or why can this person speak to this person some way or why does this person feel offended by this person acting this way towards them um and then you see it happen like everyone has a crazy story but one of my um teammates he is a very wealthy person um or his family is very wealthy and he has a very nice car and um uh, we've been in situations where we're just in the car going to mcdonald's or we went some form of fast food with him and we got pulled over and we were told hit the ground. I'm just like, what? And I'm, I'm just confused. Cause I'm just like, what is going on? Like, this is not even normal to me. Like, what have we done? And I'm looking at them like, do y'all have something in the car or something? And they're like, no, just, just get out, Dre, just get out. I'm like, what do you mean? So we just got out, get on the floor and then they just searched the car. And, oh yeah. And then they gave us some excuse that they had a description that someone driving a car like this was carrying a weapon. And I was just like, wow. And then, that just hit me like this is real life. This is what happens over this country, um, and this is what could happen in anywhere in the world. But I've never really experienced it in the UK. I, but I will be honest; I know it exists because I've spoken to my friends and other colleagues that have given me examples. But I don't want to speak on their situation because I haven't encountered their situation to speak on them. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but I mean, what I do think this, things need to be. So, sorry, I was going to say, but I mean, one aspect of in this country, which as mm-hmm. as one of two Barbadians of my acquaintance, and um, mm-hmm. I think being just asking. Obviously, you know, part of this, is, you know, we've talked about the UK dealing with its you know, colonial past, mm-hmm. and yeah, the interesting thing about mm-hmm. Barbados at the moment, you guys are probably the first place that's saying, well, actually, we'd like to become a republic. You know, we feel like we don't really need those kind of ties with with the UK. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, 
is that something you think yeah that makes sense is that is that something that sort of strikes you as strange i mean as, as a native how does it sit with you i am not going to lie i am not educated that much on the topic but from the basic of this that whole story and what i've also heard about it i disagree with i don't know if because i have my ties to the uk that makes me more liable that i don't see the reason behind it i don't see why like uh right now a colonial of the united kingdom barbados is i don't they don't impact anything that happens in Barbados because we're actually independent since 1966. Mm -hmm. So I don't see why it's an issue behind that. And I actually think it has a lot of weight having a powerful country in your corner or to look up to. Because right now, most countries cannot take care of themselves. Like, for example, Barbados is one of the most economically advanced countries in the Caribbean and their technology way advanced in a lot of Caribbean islands. Um, so, and I think a lot of other Caribbean islands are jealous of Barbados um, because of how advanced we are. And I think that brought us to credit of what the United Kingdom has helped us with and put us in place for also. So I don't know why, because as I said, I don't want to speak too much on that because I'm not educationally on the topic, um, understanding it. So, but I don't see why. I would I would disagree. If I had a vote, I would be like, I don't think we should. Do you I think fancy it's nothing wrong. President Lockhart at some point? No, never. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, never. I don't even want to look at that title. No. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> something I know you're quite, you know, it matters to you a lot. And Vince Vin spoke about this last week as well. I mean, basketball is such a big role in communities and a general, you know, mm. sense of what I can achieve. You know, in, in the in the black community, but in the you know in the community at large. Mm. I mean, where do you, you know, someone who's before all this way back when mm. you know, was out mm. in the community and out in schools and you know in different places i mean where do you see particularly in london where do you see this mm. this role that basketball has having its most impact i'm not gonna lie to you that's a very good question and the reason why it's a great question is because i'm still 100 involved in the community currently i am the director of um, new city college in Hackney, it was formerly known as Hackney Community College, and I've been coaching the ABL team for the last two years right now, and um, and we have we've shown a huge growth. Like when we took over the program, I think myself and now who's in charge of one of the directors, another director, we had like maybe twenty kids. We've had ninety kids sign up this year wow. on our courses. 90 and i we started last year it was our first year we had 72. now we have 90 across three across two campuses in hackney and epic um and just the the dynamic of how we have influenced kids and shown the excitement of the game and the fun behind it and all of that it just shows me how much a role model can do for someone I, especially even more in these times um, just to talk about this quickly, because um, a lot of the kids that we have are aspiring athletes to go to school in America. Um, I have like four of our really, um, my top players in the ABL team, they had dreams and aspirations of going to America, but now they feel like because the ABL season is cancelled, this is the right call to do by the, with the government protocols and all that. They just feel like they're in no man's land and they just feel, so now it's my goal to even be the bigger mentor. And during these times and get them prepared for what could be next or what could happen next. 
and I've laid it off to the rest of my staff also, um, other coaches there. This is what we need to do. We need to save these kids as much as we can. So we've started this week with online um, coaching sessions, um, going through, for example, like college universities in America, going through like game analysis with them, or giving them tasks or watching EuroLeague games and stuff like that, just to keep them engaged, which has actually done really well. We've actually had some very big classes and kids being involved so well. To be, right now, it's just to sum up the whole point. Yes, we have such a huge impact on our community. And that's one thing I'm really proud about Lunar Lions that we have not stopped doing because we've shown that we can we can still be leading a voice for a lot of people in, I wouldn't even say the black community because our sport has become so multi multi diverse that everyone plays a sport. It's not a color sport, it's for everyone. Sports have never been, sports is the one thing that you don't really see colors. You just see uniforms. This is your uniform, that's his uniform, you're against him. No matter if that person is whatever, or whatever you want to say, we're together on a team and we're going to try to win this game no matter what. That's where everything just gets right out the window. That's one thing I love about sports, uh, Mark, because, um, I mean, we are professionals. Um, I mean, London Lions, BBL, but when I was, let's say, in Barbados and it was an amateur league, you had people that were plumbers and carpenters and, let's say, people that work in banking. They were all playing that sport boom with the heart and the passion of trying to win and no one is seeing them as a talent they're just seeing this person as a basketball player and he's giving his all he's training every single night coming to games playing his hardest boom um so that's what i love about sports there's no diversity just your teams against teams i mean going back to i mean to those kids i mean obviously we don't we don't know how long we're going to be in this situation for particularly for young people yeah. who you know might not might not be getting a vaccine anytime soon or certainly not for several <laughs> sure. months I mean, I mean do you kind of fear for those kids because you know so many kids use sport as a as a way to be active as a way you know as something that anchors them when everything else is tough times are really tough just now i mean do you do you yep. kind of worry that amongst that group you know those kids that fall by the way so do you maybe drop out permanently because they don't have access to this vital important thing in their lives that they're so used to I agree. And that is actually my hugest fear because before this whole pandemic, the main goal was to always, uh, we would preach to our younger people to stay active, to join sporting teams or social groups or something that can get you together that you feel a part of and you're happy to be a part of. Um, and now they've been told you can't be a part of that at all. Um, you need to stay at home and isolate or you need to just stay at home away from people. So it could be so destroying for a lot of young people for example I, I if it was myself as i said i live with my mom single parent i'm just at home every day i don't know what i would do i think i would lose my mind i actually think i would legitimately lose my mind but um this is where the coaches and the mentors have to have a huge impact on these kids now because we're the last hope for them um but once i realize one thing we have to all do in life is to give there's light at the end of the tunnel so even though they might not see it right at this moment, we just need to just keep installing into them that there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. There might be a chance. And if there's an opportunity, you need to be prepared for it because you don't know whoever's going to come knocking. If you're not going to be prepared for opportunity, you're going to miss out on it. Um, and that's a good point because I've spoken to some of my other kids and I'm actually at the situation right now of getting them into um, a database with some coaches in America. 
and trying to get some of them to join some AAU teams in the summer. So I'm trying to give them some form of hope of things that they could look forward to because I don't want them to feel that there's no sight and end. And I know that's easy to see right now because they could just be told schools could be closed till March. And then they can be told school could be closed till summer. Then they could be told it's done. And then they just feel like there's nothing. But um, the one good thing I would say about how the education system is set up here with sports is that basketball is considered part of their coursework. So if schools do open back in March, they are they're still allowed to train and work out if basketball England allows that. And they just can't play competitions. But to be honest with you, I think the kids right now, they just need the camaraderie of just being around their friends and everyone else right now. I think that's what they're really craving right now. Yeah, we're all jealous of you guys. You guys get to go to the gym and shoot a basketball. <laughs> the rest of us just have to stand and look at you know doors of courts and go, oh, we remember you. We used to go in there once. I mean, I mean it's kind of last thing to wind it up on. I mean, obviously, coaching is clearly a passion now, and these kids are a passion. Is you know, yeah. I'm not saying you're done yet in the final stretch. You've got a good few years mm-hmm. left, but is mm-hmm. that the next part? Is that the next chapter? What's funny about that, I never saw myself being a coach um, when I graduated from um, Queen's University, Charlotte, um, my my coach that recruited me, he actually moved on to another university called Wingate. He actually wanted me to be an assistant coach there. And I was like, nah, I'm not doing the coach. Oh, I still want to play. I still want to play. He was like, oh. And then after four years of him continually asking me, uh, he just gave up. But we still talk to this day. But um, I can see it now. I can actually see it now. Um it's not even the success of winning because that is not what I'm excited about. It's just seeing the growth of the kids now. It's passing on the knowledge that others pass on to me. And I think that's what I get the excitement from now. And I always tell my my players and even the kids that just are part of the academy, I'm here to make sure you're ready for the next level. It might not be it might not be as a player, it might be as a coach or an assistant, or you might even find your passion as a skills trainer. Whatever form of avenue of the basketball environment, I'm here to make sure you're ready for the next level. If it's paying attention to details, if it's wanting to be in a scout person, because all that stuff I do with my players, we have scout sessions, we have detailed analysis of how to be better and footwork drills and shooting mechanics and all of that stuff, weight room sessions. So. I try to give so many different dynamics of the sport, which I've learned throughout all of my years, and pour into them, which they're, they're actually like sponges. They soak up all the knowledge. So I could see myself in this field after I retire. Yes, I can. I don't want to say when I want to retire because I actually was actually worried about my life currently. Is that <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, I actually felt a lot worse. I actually feel better now when I'm older. <laughs> my body actually feels better. So I always tell my partner, I don't know, maybe this might be two years from now. And then next minute it's like, oh, I still feel good, but I still feel good Yeah, but that's when enough. you have your second child and then you get even less sleep. So that, is, that is very true. That is very true. These my second child might determine change. a lot for me. <laughs> the second child change. might determine a lot for me. <laughs> a lot of screaming. A lot of screaming in the house might do it for me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll be great. Well, um, I wish you both very well with that. Um, we wish you good success Thank in you. Europe, success for the rest of the season and beyond that. Appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you, you very much, Mark. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. It was a blast. That is it for this edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you with our wonderful sponsors at Total Environment Compliance. Uh, check them out on social media at T Compliance Limited. You can get all our previous editions via our website at MVP247.com. Please do sign up for the MVP Mail newsletter. Lots of great content to come there in the weeks ahead. If you want to get in touch with me, reach out on social media at Mark Ripple. Another edition of the MVP Cast coming very, very soon. With me, Mark Woods. Thanks for tuning in. And it's bye for now.